Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you and to be with you, uh, either in person or in spirit. I, um, I want to tell you what I've been telling you for a while. I, I forgot last week and I got called out on it. You are loved, you are missed, and you are prayed for every week. Those that have not been able to come home and all of you are being prayed for, I think you know that. Uh, we want to do something that's something that we've done, I don't know how many times, dozens of times, yet we've never done before. Um, we, we come to you every November or so with a challenge for world missions, yet we've never gone into a year as filled with question marks as 2021. Um, now you say, well, I think 2020's had a lot of question marks. Yeah, but those question marks are, what happened? The 2021 question marks are, how do we handle it? What do we do? Where do we go from here? So I want to talk to you about um, uh, some principles that I think are important for us to grasp as we move into 2021. As we begin and open our hearts to several scriptures, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together, shall we? It'll be on the screen for you. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. There's a passage that I just want to kind of gather our attention to. It's not the passage that is going to be the focus of the message. It's from Acts chapter 20. It was Paul's final visit with the uh, church leaders from Ephesus. He knew that it was going to be the last time he would talk with them. Uh, he said, I know the Spirit has shown me that I'll never see, you'll never see my face anymore. This is the last time we'll be together. It was a very emotional time. And during that time, Paul talked about three vital things. You know, when you know you're not going to see anyone again, you're not going to talk about things that don't matter. The first thing he talked about was the great person that they all loved. He said, having to, to, to some of them that had never seen Jesus, but the principle was laid out by the apostle John, even having not seen him, you love him. And he focused on the great love of Jesus. Then he focused on the great purpose of God, which was the building up of his church. And um, we're, we're in a time where a lot of things are being questioned. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of statements that need to be made. There's just a lot that we need to deal with. And we will deal with that. But we want to be sure that our primary focus is the great purpose of God building his kingdom through the church. And uh, he talked to them about that. And then he ended it by talking with them about a great principle. And the great principle is found in these verses. He said, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. 
In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, there's no words in the Gospels where Jesus says it's more blessed to give than receive. But that doesn't mean Jesus didn't say it. Uh, are you with me out there? Okay. John said if everything that Jesus did and said were written down, uh, of course, he was using a little exaggeration. He said, I suppose the whole world could not contain the volumes that would need to be written. So we know that the Gospels are just kind of a slice of what Jesus said. So we don't know if this is something that the disciples had knew Jesus said, or if it was a lifestyle, a principle that laid out. But the principle is this, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You remember the first uh, few weeks I was here with you, I recited a poem that has just really been applicable. It goes something like this. Um, the, the, uh, the bride uh, or excuse me, the uh, groom bent with age, leaned o'er his cane, his steps uncertain need guiding, while wa down the aisle with a wide toothless smile came the bride in a wheelchair gliding. And who is this elderly couple thus wed? You'd find when you closely explored it that this was that rare, most conservative pair who waited till they could afford it. And when I first began to talk to you about missions, that's what we were talking about. A lot of us have good intentions. Well, if I win the lottery, I'll do this. Or if I ever get out of debt, I'll do this or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, even though I know we need to use wisdom when we make decisions, I understand that. You don't want to get married when you can't possibly survive getting married. Uh, but we need to understand that life is not driven by what is always logical to the mind. It's driven by what is produced in the heart and fueled by passion and hopefully blessed and anointed by God. I told you about a, um, a dream that I had a, a few years ago. And the message today is why I believe 2021 may be our best missions year ever. And, um, and guys, I think the sound is fine out there, but I'm having just a little trouble hearing. If you could just give me a little more monitor, uh, it's probably these old ears. So thank you. Um, I, in this dream, the church was going through a, a great challenge. It was a period of time when the Lord showed me that we were going to go through, an, through a period of challenges. Um, it was going to be that the norm was shaken and things that we had always counted on would not be as easily resourced as at other times. Um, and guys, I need you to take the monitor down a little bit. <laughs> oh my word. I'm so sorry. Um, you, you did exactly what I asked, but I asked for too much. So I, I should have known you were able to do exceedingly abundantly above. So my, my bad. Thank you. Thank you so much. That, that's about right. But in this dream, I was standing over here. If memory serves, it was not too long after we came into this building. And uh, as we were over here, uh, the leadership of the church was looking at paper and we had a box that was obviously a treasury box. And opportunities were being presented, challenges and programs were being presented. And while the church was worshiping, 
We were over there trying to evaluate everything that came to us, every request. It told me that as we enter the new age that I think we may be entering now, I, I didn't understand it at the time, but as we entered the new age, it was going to be very important that we understood that we did what God told us to do. And it was going to be important that we were led by the Spirit, not by a burden. And when we felt the witness of the Holy Spirit for a missions trip or whatever it is, we would reach into the treasury box and we would count out um, in, in coins. We would count out the, the money that was needed for the trip. We'd give it. And then we kept doing that over and over again. And it just seemed like money, it seems like we spent a lot more than was in the box. But in that dream, there was an angel of the Lord that was standing over near where our security guard is now and just watching. I knew instinctively it was something like Jesus did when he stood in the temple and watched people give. Have you ever wondered what it must be like when Jesus watches us give and forms his opinion? And it's a pretty heavy thing. And um, after we were doing this, the angel of the Lord walked over to me and put a, a, a round piece of rubbery plastic something in my hand like that. And I looked at it and as I looked at it, it was transforming from that rubbery plastic disc into one of these, which is a, a silver eagle, a silver dollar. Uh, it's Face value is a dollar, but the silver content is worth about $30 now. And um, I said, what is this? And I saw it transforming from the rubber into this. And I, I didn't understand. I said, what is this? And the angel of the Lord spoke to me and said, this is the currency of heaven, uh, the provision of heaven. And the Lord will provide for a people that will covenant with him. And the currency of heaven will turn into whatever it needs to turn into. In our case, we needed dollars. Somebody else may need yen. Someone else may need francs or pounds, whatever. But I came away understanding two things. I came away understanding that we were going to face a time when it was of the utmost importance that we followed the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And the second thing I realized is that God would be able to take what we don't have and provide it for us. Now, we've committed to that principle as a church. God has been so gracious to us. And loved ones, I want to give you a report. I, I'm not saying we're better. I'm, I'm just, I'm giving praise to the Lord. Uh, there are a lot of churches that are closing. There are a lot of churches that the, the, their resource seems to have dried up. And we're not saying, oh, they're not the Lord's church or God doesn't love them. That's between them and God. I don't understand God's plan. It's God who makes the ravens stop delivering meals. And it's God who dries the brook up. And it's God who says, I'll provide this way. Or it's God who says, it's, you've, you've run the course, you've fought a good fight. I, I, we can't, we can't, in fact, it's a very dangerous thing right now for us to try to evaluate anything from prophets to churches to each other. Uh, I think one of the things God is doing in us is he's bringing us to a place of humility where we stop that business and, and begin to walk in unity. But we've adopted that principle of finances work because of the supernatural provision of the Lord. And I want to thank you that we're into what, probably starting the ninth month of this pandemic and this crisis. 
And I want to thank you for being so faithful. The church has been able to keep moving forward because of your faithfulness and because of God. I don't know, maybe he changed a few things into silver eagles. I don't know. But I want to say thank you for your faithfulness. But it's not just uh, that the church has been blessed. It's because we adopt a mindset. Uh, I want to ask Pastor Corey to come and just take a minute to give you a living example of what we're talking about. This happened this week in church. This, uh, this last Wednesday, we had a missions banquet here on uh, Wednesday evening, and uh, missionaries were given reports about your faithfulness and what they want to do in the future, and it was an incredible night. Uh, the next morning, Pastor Justin came at a staff meeting with a bag full of money, and I thought, this is going to be a great staff meeting. Um, <laughs> thought he was going to distribute, and um, I said, what is that? And he said, this morning when I got to the office, this was sitting outside of my front door, and it had this note attached. It says, Dear Christian Life, this is all of my tip money. I've been asking God that while money still has value, what should I use it for that would benefit his kingdom? Then last night, he told me to give it all to missions. The total is $823.90. Amen. Amen. We, 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 don't know, we don't know who gave it. We don't need to know, uh, but we say thank you. And I want to say that that's the kind of thing that happens when a church commits to some principles. Um, we, we made a mistake in the church in America about 150 years ago. We restructured the church to be run by boards. We even used a secular term, boards. Now, we have a board of elders, but those men are not uh, financiers. They're not businessmen. They are spiritual leaders. But we made a mistake about the time we made mammon our God in America around the time of the Industrial Revolution, we changed the structure of our church and said, if our churches are going to succeed, we've got we've to be sure that they have a collection of businessmen that know business principles and know how to keep the church out of financial trouble. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm thankful for every businessman that exists. I'm thankful for everybody with a business mind. We have a finance committee that, that scrutinizes everything, and, and we, we do our best to be accountable and to be wise. But we came to the conclusion a long time ago that we need leaders in church that are men of God, not men of finance. And that's okay if you get one every now and then. And God can use them too. It's just a little harder sometimes. But guys, I'm serious. There's a principle where we understand that there are some business principles that a church has to adhere to, but the church is not a business. The church is a family. The church is an extension, an outpost of the kingdom of God. And the reason God is able to do such extraordinary things through churches and through the early church and through 2,000 years of church history. Uh, in many instances, now, now don't get me wrong, I know there are times in church history where, where we became just a money pot. And, and uh, I, I'm, I'm reminded of something during one of the great Reformation periods. Um, a, a, a minister took a, a, a fellow minister through the church and he showed them all of the gold and silver that was arrayed in the building. 
And this is what he said. He said, we no longer have to say, as Peter did, silver and gold have I none. And the other minister looked at him with tears in his eyes and said, yes, but neither can you say what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. You see, sometimes we really think we're doing well and we're actually in shambles. I think of the church at Laodicea, Jesus spoke to them and he said, you have said I am rich and have need of nothing. He said, but let me give you heaven's audit of you. He said, in fact, you are miserable and poor and blind and naked. And this is what Jesus said to that church that was rich on the outside. He said, buy of me gold that has been refined in the fire. In other words, what he was saying is that true riches are not what you think they are. And true security is not what you think it is. And that's the premise that our finances operate on. And I'm going to do something I've never tried to do today. I'm going to try to, um, well, I guess I shouldn't say kill two birds with one stone. I'm going to try to liberate two birds with one stone. Every year I talk about missions and then sometime during the year, I'll just say, hey, this is what we believe about money. I'm combining the two, not into a double length sermon, um, this is not, you know, in my day, you used to get excited. You could buy a two record album, a double length album, you know, uh, I'm not trying to give you a double length album, but I am trying to help you understand missions is before us and everything we do, including missions has to operate off of some principles. Now let's begin to work through the outline. Uh, I, I want to just, I want to take about seven minutes to lay a foundation, and then we're gonna then we're gonna take off and make a quick flight. Um, first of all, there's the principle of stewardship. This was a stewardship in the New Testament was a radical new concept of management. When we understand biblical stewardship, we understand that ninety percent for us is better than a hundred percent without God. Um, and, and I know people get all upset, is tithing New Testament or Old Testament? And the answer is yes, it is. Because tithing was in place long before the law was given to Israel. It, that's like saying, is prayer Old Testament or New Testament? There are some things that are foundational. There are some things that flow from the headwaters. The principle of tithing was in, a, in existence long before the law of Moses was in existence. So I, I, I don't understand. Most people that argue with me about tithing are trying their best to find a way to, I want you, I don't want to give this. It, it, it's not a quest for doctrinal purity. It's not a quest to have a Bible question answered. In my opinion, it's almost always a sense of what can I do to not be responsible for the tithe? Now, I, I don't want to meet you after church. We're not going to talk. I'm just saying that we've got to come to grips that we are governed by another principle, another, another worldly approach to money, and it's called stewardship. Stewardship does not say I give God 10%, then I get to keep the rest. Stewardship says it's all his, it's 100% his, and I give a tithe to remind myself that it all belongs to him. Now, 
you say, boy, that's, that's kind of an, an offensive thing to me, pastor. Well, let me tell you, I've made mistakes in my years as a pastor. I know it's hard for you to believe, but I have made some mistakes, but I want to tell you the most grievous, damaging, damning mistake I made as a pastor was in my early years in an attempt to not be offensive in an attempt to make our church more palatable to the world, I said, I'll never talk about money. And oh, I thought I was so spiritual. I thought I was so wonderful. And I came to understand that I was stripping my church of the ability to receive anything supernaturally. That's another story I don't have time to tell today. I have time, you don't have time. Um, but it's all his. There's the principle of stewardship. There's secondly, the principle of partnership. That means that we come together sharing not only with each other, but we share, um, and I'm not talking about communal living. Um, there was a time that happened in the book of Acts, but that wasn't a command for us to live that way. That was extenuating circumstances. It was after the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost, there were thousands upon thousands of people that were in away from their homes and they had just been brought into the kingdom of God and they stayed to get rooted and grounded. And the church had to come together and share to provide for them. But we're not told that we have to live that way. Um, there's, there's not a, uh, well, anyway. But there's a principle of partnership with God, with the kingdom. In fact, the word that um, we get the English word steward from is from the old English word warden. Does that tell you where I'm going? We, in our partnership with God, are honored to wear the badge pig keeper. Pig keeper. The steward was responsible for someone else's livestock. And the English word steward comes from sty warden or keeper of the pigs. And we need to understand that stewardship is not saying all this is mine and I tip God Stewardship saying it's all his and I need him to give me direction on how to appropriate those funds. Now, we have tithing, we have project giving, we have benevolence. There are several ways we give, but missions is one of the foundational ones. And um, uh, we're going we're gonna to end this year at close to $400,000 that have been given to missions. Um, it, we, we, we may come up a little bit short because we haven't been able to take our missions trips, but it's still well over $300,000, but it looks like it's going to be close to $400,000. And um, one, one of the goals I have, one of the goals I have, I, I, before I move on or, or the Lord comes for me in the special rapture or whatever happens, I want, to, I want to lead this church in, in giving a million dollars to missions. Now, if we have runaway inflation, that might be easy, you know, uh, if, our, if our money decreases in value. But I'm saying that we've gone from here to here. I bragged on Pastor Tommy and Jeannie and the great job they've done. And not only them, but all the pastors of the departments. Missions has taken on uh, significance here because we believe we're partnering with the kingdom of God. And it's not just partnering around the world. We give to Chi Alpha, which I think is going to be more and more vital uh, as we move into this next era that God has for us. Children's ministries, the list goes on and on. There's also the principle of grace. Now, this is so important because we understand stewardship. We understand partnership. If we're not careful, that can be kind of heavy on us. Okay. But there's the principle of grace 
which says we are not forced into giving, but we give freely from the heart and a supernatural element is released. You see, giving is a grace. If, if we don't have the grace attached to giving, we treat it like a bill or we treat it like something we have to do. And God wants us to be set free in our giving. He says, God, he says, Paul said to the church at Corinth, he says, give what God has placed on your heart, not of compulsion. Don't let anyone shame you into giving. Don't let anyone guilt you into giving. Don't ever let that happen. But he says, do it lovingly and freely because God loves a cheerful giver. Now, the Chitty Revised Standard Version adds a marginal reading. God loves a cheerful giver, but he will accept it from a grouch. You know, <laughs> but God wants us in our giving. Uh, and, and loved ones, I, I repent for every pastor, I, including myself. I repent for every evangelist. I, re, I repent for every prophet. I re, repent for every minister that has ever manipulated you into giving. Or, may, or made you feel guilty for not giving. Um, most of us, at least most folks that I know here, would, would gladly give if a need was presented. But if you're like me, don't, don't trick me into giving. Don't trick me. Don't ask me to do a three-minute survey and, and then at the end of the survey say, well, it's obvious you agree, so how are you going to support our ministry? $250, $500? Or $1,000, we'll send you a $2.95 paperback book if you'll do that, you know. Uh, loved ones, that is not the grace of giving. The grace of giving means we give because God has directed us and it bears witness in our heart. And the next point of your outline is grace versus compulsion. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace of, that God has given to the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial. See, some people are thinking, well, when we get past this COVID thing, I'll start giving. But they were giving in the midst of a very severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Boy, that's something you didn't learn in chemistry class. You take joy, overflowing joy, and mix it with extreme poverty and it produces generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. See, Paul didn't say I had to beg them. Paul said they begged us. The scenario was something like this where Paul said, look, you guys are going through life and death struggles. We can't accept your, your, your offerings for this project. And they said, please let us give. Please let us give. Boy, can you imagine that? And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Verse 7, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Giving is a grace. 
You say, well, I just don't like being pressured. I'm not going to give. Okay, you're not in grace. I mean, just let it go. I'm not asking you to give because you ought to give. I'm not asking you to give because we want you to give. Open your heart to the grace, but don't complain about your giving. Don't complain about your giving. Let grace fill it. He said to the Corinthians again, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And that's what I'm telling you, whether it's missions or support of the church, you have to make up your mind because I want to tell you something. You're not going to be treated second class if you don't give. You're not going to be unloved if you don't give. Well, pastor, I can't believe you just look at me and, and, um, and love me even if I don't give. That's exactly why I never look at the giving records. I never look at the giving records. That's not fair for those of y'all that give a, a, a hunk of hunk of burning love. It's not fair <laughs> to you because you might be tempted to say, well, pastor doesn't appreciate it. Pastor does appreciate it. He just doesn't know it. He, he doesn't know it because I want to be able to look at everybody and love everybody. And I want my love to be pure, not based on what you do for the church. Now there is, there is an exception to that. Whenever someone is recommended for membership in the elders, um, and even then I don't look at what they give, but I want to make sure they are giving. Nobody belongs in leadership that isn't a giver to the vision and the ministry. So we check on them, but I, don't, I, could, I couldn't tell you. Um, because it's something that you have to decide. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. He loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now, here's one other thing before we, before we hit 30,000 feet and begin to get ready for our descent. The grace of giving is not based on equal resources, but on equal stewardship. It doesn't involve equal giving. It involves equal sacrifice. That's why Jesus was able to say the woman that gave the, the, the two little coins had given more than anything else because of the level of sacrifice because of the level of sacrifice. I tell you, we're so thankful. We're so thankful um, the, the way you blessed us on Pastor's Day. You, you always treat us like royalty. We love you so much. And um, my family is so appreciative. Um, yeah, but I tell you, there was one gift that I appreciate um, in a very special way, as much as I do all the other ones. Somebody gave me uh, a wadded up dollar bill and a little card. And I knew it was from a child. I knew what a sacrifice that was for that child to give that. So I want to tell you, there's no way in heaven I'm going to spend that dollar. It's in a place of honor where I pray, reminding the Lord of the grace of giving that has been so gracious in our church. I say there's no way I'll spend it. I might, if a, if a bad day comes, I might put an IOU there, you know. And uh, it's like the fellow that, wanted to be buried with his money and his brother thought this is a waste. So he wrote a check for the amount and put it in his pocket <laughs> as he was being, he took all the cash. <laughs> so what we're going to do right now in, in the little bit of time that we've got left, and I'm going to, I'm going to just make a mad run for this. And um, it's, it's for you to follow up on, but there are seven principles that govern our belief about money. It's these same seven principles that your support of missions grows out of. Now, at the end of the service, uh, those of you that are here and you want to make a faith promise for 2021, and by the way, you never get a bill saying you promised X number of dollars. Um, you'll, never, you'll never get that. It's a faith promise. It's between you and God. You say, well, why don't you, you do the forms then? So we can know how to plan. 
If, if we're going to get $30,000, we know we need to plan this way. If we're going to get $300,000, we can plan that way. It's just to give us um, an idea of what we can as we follow the Lord hopefully do. Give it on your way out the way you give your offering. Or if you're not here today, um, if, if you're coming next Sunday, you'll be able to do it then. Or uh, tomorrow, I think you're going to get uh, an email with a way you can do it all online. Uh, but it just gives us some help. So we're thinking along two lines. We're thinking about how are we going to survive 2021 when we don't know what the stock market is going to do and we don't know what the virus is going to do and we don't know what... Um, you know, whoever's in Washington is going to do. We just don't know. But we don't base our faith on who's in Washington or the state of the stock market. I've, I've always said it makes a difference who's in Washington, but it does not prohibit God from being God by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, so that's one thing. This is my commitment to 2021. But we also need to settle the issue of missions right now. Okay. Seven principles that are absolutely life-giving and pivotal to understand. Um, this is what the early church believed about money. This is what the early church believed about money. Number one, first and foremost, Jesus is our model. Jesus does not ask us to live a life that he did not first live himself. Jesus is our model. Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. See, that's the way heavenly stewardship works. Um, something is given, and it doesn't deplete this person. It fills them up, but it also fills other people up as well. He said in Philippians 2, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody who becomes a Christian, everyone who goes to heaven is able to do so because Jesus laid aside certain dynamics of his divinity. He was fully God, but he laid aside the rights and prerogatives of God depending on the will of his heavenly father. And he gave away his unlimited riches, taking on our unlimited poverty. I'm not just talking about money. Our sin became his sin. Our wretchedness became his wretchedness. And he said, I'll lay aside this and I'll take up this in order to enrich you and give you eternal life. So Jesus is our model. Um, Luke 21, Jesus, um, oh wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me give you the second principle. And it is this. Number one, Jesus is our model. Number two, giving is part of our service. Are you ready for this? Even in times of lack. Even in times of lack, giving is part of our service. Loved ones, I want to tell you this. There are two times that I pastored churches 
that just couldn't get out of the funk. They couldn't get out of the ditch. We tried everything we knew to try. We did everything we knew to do. I took pay cuts and I, I did all, you know, I did all of this that I knew to do. Other people gave sacrificially, but we just couldn't get out of the, the, the dump. Both of those times, those churches weren't giving to missions. And we said, we are going to put God's kingdom first. And instead of trying to raise money for our operating expenses, we're going to raise money for missions and just trust God. And both times, God not only enabled us to raise the money for missions, but both times the church supernaturally began to grow financially and numerically. I will always be thankful for Carl Strader. He's in heaven now. He was my pastor in Lakeland and uh, for, for three three years almost, uh, when I was in, in Bible college, he was my pastor. And when they said, we've got to move, uh, and, and during my time there, I saw them go to, uh, from one building to another building, and then they were going to go and build this massive building. And he said to us one Sunday, he said, we have done all our homework. We've done the economic studies. We've talked to the bank and so forth. He said, there is absolutely no way we can build this building unless the bankers tell us, unless we drop missions. He said, if we drop missions, then we can do this. And um, he said, so we had a meeting, we prayed about it and God told us what we have to do. It's a tough decision. He says, but we are being told we have to cut missions. We need a financial miracle. So what we're going to do is we effective this month are doubling our giving to missions. And everybody was like, we can't give to missions anymore. So we're going to double our giving to missions. And what did God do? He blessed that church financially. He blessed them in attendance. And they were able to move into that building. And God blessed them in a phenomenal way. There's a principle of understanding that we don't wait till we can afford it to start giving. We don't wait till we can afford it to start giving. Number three, um, nope, I'm getting ahead of myself again. Um, he, we read that Second uh, Corinthians 8 about the, the uh, churches in Macedonia giving in deep poverty. And listen to what Jesus said in Luke 21. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them for they contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. See, she had, if anybody had a reason to not give, it was her. She was going home to an empty pantry and perhaps an empty vessel of oil, but she gave what could have provided sustenance for her. The rich, and don't get me wrong, if you're here and you're rich, I thank God for you. And we've had people that have given phenomenal gifts and that's very much appreciated. This is not an anti-rich thing. We're not talking about a redistribution of wealth. That's not what we're talking about. But Jesus told this story to help us understand you don't have to wait until you're able to give to give. Now, I have to give a disclaimer here. I don't mean that you need to not buy your child their medicine to give to the church. I don't mean that you need to send your kids to bed hungry tonight. 
saying that, uh, you know, we, we don't have any food because we gave all our money to the church. Don't bring dishonor to the church or the Lord by such nonsense. Paul told the believers, he said, if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. And in all practical purposes, you've denied the faith. God, does, this, this kind of giving does not say, I will, I will hurt my family <coughs> by my giving. This kind of giving says, we will come together as a family and see what we can do and be willing to obey God. You're so quiet. I hope there's a little noise over in Brown Chapel or some of y'all at home. Um, here's the third thing. Giving is viewed as a privilege not as a necessity. <coughs> now, if this clock is right, this says I've got 99 minutes to preach. Is that right? I don't think it is because it hasn't moved. Okay. Giving is viewed as a privilege, not as a necessity. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. We've already read this. Not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay. Jesus is our model. Giving is a part of our service, even when it doesn't seem like it's a good time to give. Uh, again, I'm not trying to pressure you. I'm saying just because you've got challenges, don't write off giving. I'm here to tell you, I know what it's like. I've done this early in my life, um, early in my marriage. I, I stopped tithing because I couldn't pay my bills and give a tithe. And I said, Lord, you understand. And I don't want to dishonor you with creditors and so forth. So I'm going to stop giving the tithe until I can get past this. And if you do that and God gives you clearance, that's between you and God. But I want to tell you, for me, it was an utter disaster. And I lost everything that I tried to save. I lost everything that I tried to save. And uh, you know what I found out? I found out I'm better off with 90% with his hand on me than 100% doing it my own way. Okay. But giving is a privilege, not a necessity. Here's number four. Um, um, we are to give ourselves before we give other material things. Sometimes men in particular are bad about this. Um, especially, especially if they make good money or they work a lot of long hours, they will, what, whenever there's a need for prayer or a need for teachers or a need for ranger commanders or a need to come, a lot of times they'll write a check. Uh, well, in the old days, they'll give money to substitute for giving themselves. And, um, don't get me wrong. The checks are great and the giving is great, but we, we raised a generation, I think it was the early uh, baby boomers, that, that began to believe that, I, that everything that's needed, I can, I can meet that need with a check. Well, money can't buy happiness. I do agree that it can make a good, solid deposit, you know, on, on happiness. Uh, I found it's a lot easier to have happiness with money than without money but you put money in its place. And one of the keys that we live by is that we are to give ourselves before we give other material things. For they gave, 2 Corinthians 8, according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us, begging us. He says, they gave what they could and then they gave what they couldn't give. 
It reminds me of an old basketball coach I had in high school. He'd say, do this many jumping jacks, run this many laps, run this many wind sprints. He said, all you got to do is this many. And then we'd get there and he'd say, oh, that's so good. Just two more. And we'd, we'd do two more and we'd slow down. He said, oh, that's great. Give me another two. And, you know, it, it was a hypocrite. <laughs> he says, that's all you got to do. And then he says, yeah, but this just, he says, you've done so good. Just give me two more. He said, that's the way the church gave. They gave all they could possibly give. And then they, they reached in the couch and dug in the cushions and pulled up 35 more cents. He says, that's amazing. That's what they did. And he said, and they did this, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. In other words, they gave, but before they gave, they said, Lord, I'm yours. Before they gave, they said, Pastor, we're with you. And then God was able to make that special grace abound to them. Here's number five. It is to our benefit as well as the benefit of the church if we give systematically. Now, I don't, I don't want to be legalistic, but I know what it's like to pastor a very small church. And uh, I know what it's like when I would, I would fast a day when I knew that a certain family was going on vacation. Because they had five or six kids and that meant that 20% of our congregation was going to be gone on vacation, you know. And that meant that 20% of our budget was, was, was going to, you know, not be there this week. I'm, I'm exaggerating, it wasn't quite that much. But, but what they did beautifully is uh, that family, knowing they were key givers in the church, perhaps the key giving family in the church, every time they went home for Christmas or to see mama for Thanksgiving or going on their summer vacation or whatever, and he didn't make a lot of money, but it was, it, you know, any amounts a lot when you don't have it. And he, he was just a, uh, an, a, an army recruiter. I mean, he didn't make a lot of money. But he would always stop by and he'd say, I'm not going to be here this Sunday, but I know how important it is to give regularly. So he'd drop off his tithe. And that's not a, you got to do this to go to heaven kind of thing. It's just a benefit. That's why Paul wrote to the church and he said, uh, listen, we've got this special project. I mean, he wasn't even talking about tithing. He was talking about giving to a special project. But this is what he said. He said, now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, you know, every Sunday, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. And uh, store it up is the word they, we get thesaurus from it. He was saying, give systematically so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. In other words, he says, listen, whenever you've got a project, and I think it applies whether it's missions or tithing or whether it's benevolence, whatever it is. He says, go ahead and get in the habit of doing it systematically now so that it's not a burden to those who are administering. And it's not a burden to the church to have to scramble there at the end. Um, I, I remember, God bless them, they were, they were some of the best people I ever pastored. First church I pastored, they, um, they, they didn't understand anything about systematically planning and budgeting. It was a lesson we all had to learn. And I, I remember that Ramon and I were going to, uh, I believe it was St. Louis for general counsel. 
And uh, we were going to leave that afternoon. And the, the lead deacon got up and said, folks, we want to receive an offering for our pastor. We're sending him to general counsel. And um, we, we don't have money in the budget for that. So we're going to ask you to, to let's send our pastor and his wife to, to general counsel. It's important that they represent the church. And they received the offering. And uh, we sang a couple more songs. Then I got up to preach and he, I saw him running down the aisle. Pastor, 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 pastor. He said, folks, you may notice the ushers moving back into position. He said, I didn't make myself clear. We want to send him to St. Louis and then get him back home. <laughs> so we're, we're going to receive another offering. And, and, and that wasn't necessary. We would have used our own funds to go or whatever, but we, we felt that council was important, but we, we knew the church wasn't able. But they, you know, after church, my pockets were bulging with quarters and $1 bills. It, it looked like I had robbed a bank, but uh, I, I, I talked to them later. I said, you guys don't have to do this, but if you do, let's plan for it. Let's plan and let's do systematic budgeting. And it was a real turnaround for the church. Um, now, here's number six. It's obvious that God sustains the gift and the giver. Whenever we give in Jesus' name, something supernatural happens to the gift. But can I tell you, something supernatural happens to you. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Loved ones, I am no friend of the prophet prosperity gospel. I'm no friend of the name it and claim it gospel, but I tell you what I do know. I do know that when we partner with God, something supernatural happens to the gift and something supernatural happens to the person that gives. Now here's the last thing. True riches are from God alone. True riches are from God alone. Jesus told a parable, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. Wouldn't that be wonderful to wake up in the morning and figure out I, I've maxed out all my bank accounts with FDIC. I have no place to put all this money I've got. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God's not saying don't have money. God's not against rich people. God's not saying you ought to be ashamed of yourself. If you got money in the bank, you need to give it away. That God's never made that kind of ridiculous claim. But he has said this, when you have money in the bank or grain in the storage mill, he said, never forget, that's not what makes you rich. Your relationship with God is what makes you rich. 
Well, you say Jesus does want us to dis- redistribute the wealth. He, he told the rich young ruler to give away everything he had and come and follow him. Uh, yeah, that's because riches had a hook in that young man. There were others like uh, Zacchaeus. You know Zacchaeus. He was the little, little man. Little, little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree. And, and he was filthy rich because of his corruption as a tax collector. And, and Zacchaeus, now if you thought it was anybody, Jesus would say, give it all away. What Zacchaeus said is, I am going to make restitution out of my wealth. And I'm going to bless those that I have hurt. But Jesus didn't say, you pig-eyed, snot-nosed heathen, give it all away. Jesus realized this is a man, when a tax collector changes, he got saved in midair. When, when a Roman tax collector says, I'm going to make up what I've done wrong, Jesus basically said, it's not, it's not necessary for him to give it all away. This is a work of redemption right here. You see, Jesus also blessed other people. He, in fact, he gives some the gift of giving. He's not against um, having riches. And don't let anybody make you feel bad for being prosperous. Don't, don't, don't go trade in your Lexus, you know, for a Kia. Don't do that because God's somehow displeased with you. If you trade for a Kia, let it be because you like the Kia. You know, there's nothing wrong with a Kia. Boy, now I'm going to have Kia owners after me. <laughs> let me tell you something. I know what it's like to drive a car. My, my daddy, when I was in college, I drove a car and he he raised the hood and had a bottle of oil and I, I said, or a can of oil. I said, daddy, I've, I've already checked the oil. He said, I'm not adding it. He was pouring it. He said, I'm just anointing this thing. Maybe it'll get you home. <laughs> no, your spirituality isn't governed by what you drive, but if God blesses you and there ought to be seasons in life where you have more than you have at other times, nothing wrong with prosperity. But understand this, loved ones, everything you think is a treasure can be lost in a moment unless it's treasure in heaven. Okay, now what do we do with this? Okay, on your Christian life lessons, and I promise I'll be brief, this is not about business, this is supernatural. Uh, we, we, we have boards of trustees, we have accountability, but don't knee-jerk thinking that the church getting through 2021 is going to be a matter of us doing better business. It's about the supernatural touch and grace of God. Number two, you cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus said that is an impossibility. And mammon is an old word for money, but mammon was also the name of a God. And I don't have time to deal with this, but I think around the time of the American, uh, not American Revolution, the Industrial Revolution, I think in the late 1800s, I think America philosophically and socially made a change of gods. And we changed from the true and the living God to the God of mammon. And it was all about making money. It was all about building wealth. And I know that sounds like a contradiction to what I just said. And there are some glorious exceptions to it. But I think America changed uh, changed gods. And I think that one of the things we're going through right now in the days to come is God is going to bankrupt the God of mammon. And he's going to challenge the God that our nation serves just as he challenged Baal through Elijah uh, there on Mount Carmel. But now everybody's in agreement with that. Let's move on to number three. 
I want you to know, loved ones, some things are believed before they are learned. In other words, some things, and this is the way faith works sometimes. You'd say, well, I'd believe if I could see. That's not the way faith works. You end up seeing what you believe. That's just, just the nature of faith. It's not mind over matter. It's not an illusion. Some things you just embrace before you learn them. There are some things that were huge steps of faith for me. Now it's a no-brainer to me. But I remember when I started with it, that was a huge step of faith. But go to number four. Some things are learned before they are believed. Money may be one of those things. That's why I think it's the only thing I know of. Now listen to me. I know it sounds like a contradiction. Number three, some things are believed before they are learned. Have faith and just do it. But I also know that some people can't get past that barrier. So you've got to learn something before you can believe it. And that's why the only thing God ever told us to do this over that I can find is God spoke through the prophet Malachi talking about their giving. And he said this, he says, put me to the test. He says, I want you to believe and do it. But if you can't believe, then put me to the test. Do what's right and see if I won't pour out a blessing on you that you won't receive. You say, well, I don't want to be them. I'd rather be one of the others. God is so hungry for us to believe him. He'll even let us choose the terms sometime. Number five, I love this quote from Corey Ten Boom. Uh, my brother shared it with me. The real worth of an anchor correlates to the intensity of the storm. An anchor means very little to you until you get in a storm. And the anchor, even in a storm, means little to you unless it's a big storm. And we are going through a big storm in our nation right now. It's going on all around the world. It seems like it's just here because it just preoccupies us. But it's all around the world. There's a big storm. And what God is wanting to do instead of rebuking our political enemies and what God wants to do instead of just bringing us back to the way it was, I don't think we'll ever be back to the way it was. But God is pouring us out wealth to us. He's telling us like he did to the church of Laodicea. He says, purchase from me gold refined in the fire. Get true wealth from me. And I want to tell you something, loved ones. We're going to continue in the storm. And the way we fare in the storm will depend on the anchor that we've chosen. The worth of an anchor correlates to the intensity of the storm. The worth of an anchor correlates to the intensity of the storm. That's why you can go out and buy a pair of work pants and the salesman will say, well, yes, this is double stitched. And you say, I don't know if I really need something double stitched. Well, some, sooner or later, you're going to get a load you wish you were double stitched. <laughs> I, I told you right out here in front of the gym, I, I had a favorite pair of pants. I wore, I wore them long, long after I should have worn them. Um, they, were, they, they were just getting thin, but they were the most comfortable pants I owned. And I, I you know, Ramona said, sweetie, you don't want to wear those in public. And I, I said, well, nobody's going to be looking at my rear end. I really love these pants. She said, well, they're getting a little thin. And Pastor Glenn and I went out to pick up something. I forgot what it was. But uh, I reached down to pick it up. 
And that's when I wish I'd bought double stitch. <laughs> it was so threadbare. It didn't, it wasn't a polite little rip, you know, it was a, <laughs> and, and you could actually see dust coming <laughs> from my pants falling apart. And it wasn't a little tear. It was the whole, I had two pants when it was over. <laughs> you see a lot of us right now, we're just, we just want to get that old comfortable pair of pants on. Let me go back to my routine. Let everything go back to the way it was. But I'm going to tell you something. We need some double stitched britches right now. We need, we need to understand that the anchors in our life can no longer be on politics, can no longer be in denominations. I, I, I hate to say it. It may not even be in your retirement account. We need some double stitching in our life and an anchor is more valuable the greater the storm. Whatever you and I choose to latch on to, whatever you and I choose to hold to in the days ahead is going to be something that better be worth it and better have strength. Now, what do I do, Pastor? Well, I always, I mean, I, I can preach about chickens laying eggs. And I, I need you to know you can give your heart to Jesus today. I know I preach to the church, not to the lost, but whether you're online watching or whether you're in Brown Chapel or whether you're here in the main sanctuary, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Pastor Corey will be right up here as when we dismiss in, in just a minute and he will help you get to the prayer teams that would be glad to pray for you and minister to you. Don't let that decision go unmade. But also, I'm also speaking to those in regard to missions. If you're ready to make a missions uh, promise between you and God for 2021, give it to the ushers on your way out when you, when you give your offering. If you're listening online, as I said, next Sunday, you can do it if you're here. Um, we'll, we'll do it one more Sunday or mention it one more Sunday. We won't talk about this next week. Um, or you can do it online. But would you stand with me, please? Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we are asking for the supernatural grace of God to settle upon our church, the grace of giving. Father, I, I, we're, not, we're not manipulating. We're not pushing. We're not requiring. But there is a supernatural grace and the enemy, out of fear of 2021, wants to rob us of that supernatural grace. He wants us to sit on everything we say and do and believe and wait for fairer skies to blow in. But Father, an anchor is made for the storm. An anchor is made for stability. Paul told the Ephesians, he said when he's talking about the armor of God, he said, when you've done everything to stand, then stand, stand. And Lord, we don't want to sit down on you. We don't, want to, we don't want to quit the principles that have worked for us all of these years. I'm asking you in the name of Jesus to help us with our faith promises. Lord, some of us are just going to say, well, I'll continue what I've been doing. That's great. Others will say, 
I haven't been giving, but I'll start giving now. That's great. Lord, wherever we at, whatever our response is, may it be one of faith. Help us to have 2021, no matter what we face, is the best missions year ever. And if there's anyone that doesn't know you, bring them home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you. God bless you. If you want prayer for other needs or to give your life to Jesus, please come to the front. The ministry teams will be glad to talk with you. God bless.